0: You're listening to this Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, These conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice.
1: Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Vicky, back with an episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Karen Kaufman. She is an osteopathic physician, an allergist and immunologist, and a fellow of the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. Dr. Kaufman helps adults and children suffering from allergies and recurrent infections to feel better, reduce their need for medication, and improve their quality of life. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me here. I'm really excited to share today. Yes. Well, thank you. And tell us more about your story through medicine and into your specialty and what it's going to be like as you launch into your private practice in the new year.
2: Oh, well, thank you for asking me. So, you know, my story is a little um a little bit of a winding path, but you know, when I started um medical school, it was right around the time of 9-11. So I started in two thousand one, and um shortly after you know, our entire world was turned upside down, I decided to commission in the United States Navy as a, as a medical officer. So my initial career path through my internship and residency in internal medicine um, were through my service to the United States Navy. And I actually stayed in the Navy for quite some time. Um, but during that time, um, I practiced internal medicine for a couple of years. And then went back and did some subspecialty training in allergy and clinical immunology, which really was where I found um, my passion to be in helping um, both children and adults with allergies and asthma and immune deficiencies. So um, in the last, um, I guess in the last eight years, um, since I finished my subspecialty training, I completed um, my military service, resigned my commission, and have been in private practice um, since then. And now five years later, I am ready to open my very own solo allergy and immunology practice. So it's a really exciting time.
1: So fascinating. And let's spend a little bit of time around your military service. And thank you for that, for your service. And for that decade you contributed. And when we think of the military, there's a lot of structure there, right? That's kind of what we look at. And if we pull in the osteopathic tenets, right? Structure contributes to function. And what did you notice about being within that system and how the structure might've been supportive of the function for you in that decade?
2: That's such a good, that's a, such a good question that actually I don't think anybody's asked me that before. Um, you know, the military is really formed with a very strict and straightforward hierarchy of roles and through um, military medicine, as you progress, not only through training and into life as an attending, um, but take, you take on a lot of different leadership roles So learning um, not only how to fine tune my craft as a physician, but also how to be a physician leader, not only in a hospital system, but a leader within my, um, my own, you know, clinical practice, um, training, you know, medical assistants. And at that time it was Navy corpsmen um, and nurses and, and everybody to be part of a um, really interwoven clinical team. Um, I think that's one of the things that really I hold firm in my beliefs of what I want to build in my private practice. Um, you know, I want my patients to come into the practice and see that cohesive team nature where we all work together so well that patients um, come in and feel like, you know, an, an invited guest in our in our clinic family's home. And, and so I think that leadership Really um, is the foundation of that, and I think a lot of that I attribute to my military service.
1: It's so helpful to note. In as physicians, you know, my experience has been that we're automatically ascended to leadership roles, whether they're by name or just by right having the doctor title. But not always given the training or the support sure. or the skills to step into that. What would you say have been some key takeaways or pearls that have allowed you to step into leadership with some confidence and? Help you structure now your own practice?
2: Well, I think, you know, as we start to learn how to lead and how to teach, um, not only, you know, folks who are learning from us, but same thing holds true for any physician who's been in any role of supporting, you know, students and trainees and residents and things like that. Um, I take the same approach with my patients. So, you know, I feel like, you know, a patient who is satisfied with their clinical care as a patient feels like they're heard. And so when my patients come in to see me in the office, I really take a lot of time to, you know, to really listen to their stories and um, to teach them almost in a way that I've taught, you know, throughout my career, because if they leave from the visit and don't feel like their questions are answered or they have a greater understanding of the things we learned about, or we talked about, then I'm not doing my job. Um, One thing that's really interesting about the way that people learn Um, I'm a really visual learner, and um, my husband, who also has a military background, my husband is a pilot, and this is an interesting thing about pilots, um, but what pilots do when they learn, you know, a new, let's say a new airplane or something like that, um, and they're going to learn all their emergency procedures, they literally take a big poster of what the inside of the cockpit looks like, and they tape it on the wall, and they pull their chair up, and they go through all all of their procedures. Well, as an allergist immunologist, literally everything that I talk about or that I teach patients about is stuff either that people can't visualize or things that are microscopic that are hard to even talk about because there's not a great level of understanding. So, you know, I I draw from that background of, you know, of leadership and of teaching, and I really try and make things very relatable Um, it's commonplace to see me drawing on the table paper in the, you know, in the office visit, sometimes patients say, can I take that home?
1: Or you can put it up on
2: your fridge. Um, no, but I think, you know, there's a lot of ways to really teach patients and, and leave them with that lasting piece of information, um, that they can take home and say, wow, I really got something out of that visit. No one's ever said
1: that to me before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And finding the ways in which people learn right? Are they auditory? You know, sometimes I'll find myself recording videos for patients and helping them recall that way. But tapping into that is so useful. I'm really curious about the hierarchy and that can have, you know, a bad name and negative connotations. Sure. But what I find fascinating and perhaps opportunistic about it is clarity of roles. For and sure. in medicine, so many times there's confusion, right? Who's responsible for what? The patient, the physician, the staff, the insurance company. And being in a space where it's pretty clear, right? You know, who is doing what and who is in charge of whom, how have you found that to support you in your communication with patients or with staff? And as you're framing this practice out,
2: you know, I think the hierarchy really does matter, but more so is the way that the communication happens within that hierarchy. And, you know, if you have you know, a hierarchy where, you know, A isn't talking to B, isn't talking to C, the whole thing breaks down. So, you know, it's, it's not only that communication within, you know, the members of your treatment team, but that, you know, includes the patients in that as well. So I think that that hierarchy um, is, is important, but it really is the basis of good communication fields.
1: Absolutely. Right. So there we are again, structural framework that allows for functional communication. So helpful. Tell me a little more about how you were drawn into your specialty. And so a generalization about DOs is that there's a primary care slant and subspecialties aren't as common. And you spent some time in general medicine, right, from your original residency. And what drew you to seek out a subspecialty in your work?
2: Um, You know, one of the reasons why I picked internal medicine um, as my primary specialty is because you could really go in so many different directions. And I really didn't know, you know, where I would find my calling. I feel like as a medical student, you know, some people will rotate through different specialties and they're like, man, this is for me. Like I belong here. And I didn't really know what that was yet. Um, and so I felt like, you know, medicine for me is really cerebral. I wasn't really, you know, I didn't have the mindset of a surgeon at the time. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start there and see where the chips fall. Um, initially, actually, I had a lot of interest in, um, in a different specialty in cardiology, and I was doing some cardiology research um, of plavix hypersensitivity. So there was a lot of overlap there,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but it really took me um, to you know really open my eyes to allergy and clinical immunology as a subspecialty. I honestly didn't even know that that I could do that from internal medicine, and mm-hmm. I had like a two week um, clinical rotation. And found it to be just you know thrilling and fascinating and really cutting edge. I mean, everything that we know about you know immune system function and immunodeficiency, a lot of it is based upon what we know about the genome, so it was just really new and um, and I loved the capacity of being able to care for children and to be able to care for adults, but without necessarily having to be a general pediatrician as my background. Mm-hmm. so um, so I just really fell in love with with it and um, and then after practicing. Um, you know, general internal medicine um for the first you know two years of my attending life, um, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on you know kind of adult medicine at that point. you know, I was new out of residency, I was really sharp in my in my craft at that time, and so when I decided to pursue fellowship, I actually chose a fellowship program that was about seventy percent pediatrics wow. and very heavy in <laughs> primary immune deficiency because I felt like. Those were the things that I was, you know, I had the biggest weakness. I really didn't have much background. So those were the things I wanted to learn the most um, to make myself a well-rounded clinician. And, um, and I'm so grateful that that was kind of the, the direction I went.
1: Mm-hmm. What's interesting
2: about allergy and immunology is, you know, it's certainly not the, the largest specialty by any means. I think there's, you know, just shy over 50 fellowship training programs. And what ends up happening is that graduates of various training programs end up becoming experts in whatever their attendings were experts in at their Mm -hmm. training program. So you have to think about that when you're going to be, you know, pursuing your training, like, do I want to be a food allergy expert? Or maybe I want to be a venom allergy expert. or Maybe I want to be a vaccine person, right? Mm -hmm. So there's lots of different um, opportunity to kind of really specialize within a subspecialty, depending on where you train. But I really chose to um, focus in a program where I would get sort of the most, broad, well-rounded clinical training that I could um, with a lot of focus on things that I really didn't have a lot of background in. So it was good. A little challenge is good for, it's
1: good. for. Yeah. Myself. And so encouraging, <laughs> right? And brave to pull in the things that are your weakness, right? Sometimes we'll default to, well, I'm good at this, so let me continue to augment that. And no problem with either, but to step right. into that space of the unknown and such a fascinating opportunity. If we look, you know, those flow charts in medicine, usually if you've selected IM, you've canceled out peds, right? And to bring right. it back in, <laughs> such a brilliant way to do so. Like you said, oh, here's this kind of backdoor opportunity to bring right. pediatrics it's back into a scope. <laughs> scope. It's a scope. a little it's bit of a practice. Scope. It's For really me, loud. and this is many moons ago, I remember call my allergy rotations. And similar to my specialty, you know, we often get the patients after a whole bunch of other people have seen sure. that. And so being that detective, you know, in our clinic, my director would often say we were the resort doctors as in last resort (laughs) and getting to explore, right. And solve and dig and bring that curiosity in. And I hear a lot of the osteopathic approach in there, right. Osteopathy was born that questioning of like, what else, what are we missing? What could be offered here? And do you notice that come into play when you're seeing your patients?
2: Absolutely. I mean, with, with allergy and immunology, we have so much overlap with so many other specialties of medicine. I mean, between... E.N.T. and dermatology, um, pulmonology, rheumatology, G.I. infectious disease, hematology. I mean, you name it; they probably overlap with us. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's very few that we don't. And so, um, it's really nice. I mean, it's very collegial. Um, I love, you know, in the area where I practice, there's just so much, you know, good sharing of, you know, knowledge between, you know, clinicians of other specialties and things like that. And I think it really just helps to kind of build that cohesive framework in which we're really, you know, providing the best clinical care that
1: we can. Absolutely. And what would you say you have found to be most beneficial for your patients? So when you bring all these different areas of expertise and experience, what sets you apart and what allows you to engage with them in a unique way? You mentioned listening to the story and really prioritizing that. Is there anything else that comes through for you as a really key factor in the success of your practice?
2: I think really just asking the questions that other people aren't asking. I mean, in in particular, I mean, one thing that just comes to mind off the top of my head, you know, when I think about people with recurrent infections, which is something that I see in my specialty, you know, it is very commonplace for adults. Let's say, let's use sinus infections as an example. Adults may get a sinus infection and maybe they'll make it to their primary care, or maybe they'll tough it out at home and just be sick for a very long time. Um, and maybe it'll happen again, but this time they'll maybe go to urgent care or maybe see a different provider. And and each time that they receive care, it's, well, it's a sinus infection, you know, take these antibiotics. And if you don't get better, come back, have a nice day. That's Mm kind of how it ends. But nobody really takes that step back and says, look, there is nothing normal about having all of these infections. So let's take a step back and ask that question why is this happening to you in the first place? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you bad luck exists, but most of the time it's not bad luck. Most of the time there are some underlying you know, reasons why people either suffer from recurrent infections or infections mm-hmm. that are too severe maybe, or um, infections with unusual features, or maybe ones that don't respond well to antibiotics. And, um, and it's important to be able to know to even take those steps to ask those questions and to do that evaluation because without it, patients undergo substantial length of time of significant morbidity that really inhibits their quality of life. And so I really feel that, you know, you have to take it all in, right? You have to look at all the data. You have to look at all the things that all these other specialists have done. And you have to ask those questions and go through that history. That is so, so, so important to really uncover it. Another Mm -hmm. example that I'll give you um, is one I was just thinking about yesterday It's a gentleman who I've been seeing for several years, um, who <laughs> was kind of billed as a new patient as like new patient for allergy workup. It sounded mm-hmm. kind of straightforward, but sure enough, this guy was a doozy because he had allergies and asthma and he had food allergy and we're going through all of the stuff. And, and so as I'm asking my review of systems, you know, I said, you know, started asking him some more questions of course. And sure enough, he said, well, I've been having this problem. Um, with recurrent abdominal pain. I said, recurrent abdominal pain? I said, well, well, tell me a little bit about that. Like, when did that start? And he said, oh, you don't want to know the story. That's what <laughs> he really said to me. I mean, I totally remember like it was yesterday. And I said, yeah, I do want to know. And he said, well, the story starts when I was in high school. I said, that's fine. Just go back to then and tell <laughs> me the story. <laughs> sure enough, this guy had been to um, so many different specialists, including multiple gastroenterologists, he had multiple colonoscopies, he even had a, his appendix taken out and had been to the ER repeatedly for severe abdominal pain. He was missing maybe two to three days a week uh, from work, a week mm, on average. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy for years. And so as I'm teasing out this history, sure enough, I said, well, has anybody ever worked you up for a swelling disorder? He said, what? So, you know, it's teasing it out and it's asking those questions. This patient has an an unusual condition called hereditary angioedema that manifests with gut attacks and he gets swelling Mm. of his bowel and tremendous amounts of abdominal pain. So just by kind of going through that history and asking those questions, we were able to tease out an unusual and uncommon diagnosis, but with a very simple treatment modality, the entire trajectory of this patient's life has changed. -hmm. I mean, it's shocking. And it is, is, but it's so essential to do those things
1: to get there. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that really resonates with me. And the concept, right? The body is a unit. And so, even though they're coming, right? First, the stuffy nose, right? There is everything else that's involved with that. And I do think, you know, that is not unique to Dio to take a good history, but I do think it's ingrained in the training because right of the omt that we learn early on because we're learning that oh other things are contributing here right and we need to ask questions and stay curious and so i think it does bring that unique perspective and i do hope it's opened up right as we merge and we're into the single accreditation system that that concept of seeing the whole person sure and allowing for any of that to be a contributor will be open to all of medicine and we'll begin to bring that forward but that's such a great illustration It's a good story, isn't it? And as we move from that, so the body as a unit and also the person, right, as a unit of body, mind, and spirit, you know, if I think of allergy, asthma, immunology, it seems like, oh, yeah, all the things in your life matter here, right? The exposures you have in your environment, the food that you're eating, your relationships, right? Immunology often comes from there are stress triggers that can contribute. So how do you balance all that? And how do you use that perhaps to your advantage in caring for your patients?
2: Well, it's amazing how, you know, even within the immune system, there's a lot of give and take of what's happening. So, you know, you take somebody who has sort of a hyper-responsive immune system, but sometimes we see that correlating with some immune deficiencies. So we see a lack of function, or even we see, you know, immune deficiency with autoimmunity or, you know, self-overreactiveness. So anyways, it's really, you know, there is a balance and you have to kind of go through all the pieces um, so when I take a history, it's extremely comprehensive because, you know, a lot of times, just like you said, patients will come in for one thing, um, but they won't even recognize that other things may be connected. And so, you know, then, then the questions start coming out because they're like, oh, I never thought about that. Let me ask you about this. And mm-hmm. we can really put it together. Um, another thing I think that's really, you know, a fascinating concept of, you know, the relationships that we have in the environment and especially with food um, you know, I feel that especially in the last five or 10 years, maybe, you know, people are so much more in tune with how they feel individually and what things in their life um, contribute to the way that they feel. So, you know, food allergy as a whole has been on a, on the rise. But interestingly, even when I go back to my training, you know, in the evaluation of food allergy, it kind of was like, okay, well, these are the things that are consistent with food allergy. And then the stuff is just not food allergy. And that's kind of where it ended.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: through my clinical practice and through the years, I found that there's a lot of people that fall in that group of, well, it's not food allergy, or maybe it's not an immunologic problem related to food, but it's the, the interactions of how foods affect our body. And, um, and so I've kind of, you know, become known to be a clinician who really helps people get through that stuff too and even though maybe it's not an allergy or it's not an immune system problem it's still a problem that affects you know to the core of the way that people feel and that mm-hmm. that deserves to be treated and managed as well and not mm-hmm. just you know for patients to be told well it's not this have a nice day you know yeah. the have a nice day comes when they feel better and that's mm-hmm. what people want you know they seek out care because they want answers to their questions and they want to feel good you know mm-hmm. not that it sounds great. Like everyone wants to feel good. We all deserve
1: that, you know? Absolutely. And how encouraging to know that even when, right, you look normal on paper and normal is its own trigger word, that if you still don't feel well, there is more to be done, right? Because everything doesn't have to come out in a lab value or in a special study. And that can be so helpful, of course, to rule out some pretty significant issues, but to be able to still hold space for the patient to say, I still hear you and let's keep working until you do feel better, right? Even if it isn't a medication or an injection or whatnot, there are ways we can actually support you. There's answers for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you have a team in place? And so maybe you're building one as you're launching your practice. Have you found certain (laughs) allies in this space? You mentioned the collegiality across specialties, but within your practice itself, do you find that there are resources that are particularly helpful in supporting your patients?
2: Um, I, you know, I'm in the process of building my team. So I've been working with, um, one particular, um, nurse for about almost a year and a half, I guess, um, whom i this is so fascinating. So I actually met her, um, as the mother of two of my patients. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just through our, you know, our interactions, her daughter had a relative or younger daughter had a relative immune deficiency, which we fixed has terrible allergies Environmental allergies and on immunotherapy. She has food allergies, which we manage. And um, and her mom, um, who is my nurse, um, was just so grateful. And she said, you know, I just want to come and and do something to be supportive to you. So you know, she has just this fabulous background. Is incredibly you know brilliant. But she and I kind of share that same you know tenet of the way that we like to provide care and and really just to make sure that you know. Everything is done the right way for the right mm-hmm. reasons. And, and she and I share that. So, um, so she is going to be on my team and, and I've been busy um, interviewing some, some new uh, faces who may be popping up in my office next month when we open. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's an exciting time.
1: It's definitely. It is. And having both that buy-in and that capacity for empathy, right? Having gone through that on a personal scale can really help build that with patients. So we're looking here at the third tenant and in that inherent self-healing capacity. And we've heard that opportunity, right? This patient example that you shared, like once we see what's happening, we can call forth the health in a different way. We can move away some of the obstructions and bring that through. And if you found ways, maybe personally or with your patients, that you're able to honor that and remind people that they do have the capacity to be well and that sometimes things just get in the way. Yeah, absolutely. And as you're moving through this development of your practice, what have you found to be perhaps the greatest gifts? We've shared some of them for being in the military and some of the greatest challenges that you face in that development.
2: Oh, gosh. Well, I'll start with the challenges, I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I think just, you know, spending so many years in clinical medicine, there's not a whole lot of time for for learning of business skills. So that has been um, an uphill climb. But you know I think our minds are very pliable. You know, we're good learners, we're good studiers, um, and we're fast learners too, as physicians. And so um there, there's a lot I've been learning about, you know, negotiating a contract and, you know, all of the logistical things from even a legal standpoint or, you know, um supply. I mean, there's just so much stuff that, you know, just takes a tremendous amount of time to build. So um so it is a very um, significant learning experience for me, but um, but I'm taking on all the challenges and um, delegating things that, you know, I don't feel that I have great amount of strength or time for, but taking on other things that I just know that I can I can just do it, um, mm-hmm. like building a website, right? Like, how hard can it be? I watched a couple of YouTube videos. <laughs> I built a beautiful website, right? So, like, mm-hmm. stuff like that I can do. So, you know, so it's it's been a big learning experience um, in a lot of different realms of, you know, kind of dealing with obstacles and challenges and, and workarounds and, and learning to be a little bit, you know, open-minded and flexible about, you know, the things that we can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, saw this, um, I saw this on social media once, but it kind of, kind of resonated with me, which is, you know, don't stress about things in advance because mm-hmm. then you're going to stress about them again when you're going through that experience. And then you've had to stress <laughs> about it twice. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, don't do that to yourself. (laughs) So I try to kind of let go of, of the things that are, that are tough. And I say, look, it's tough. I'll get through it. And I'll just remember that at some point in time, like, oh yeah, I had this stressful experience. So, Mm
1: -hmm. um,
2: (laughs) trying to, trying to think, think big and, and work through some of these things. Um, so those are the challenges, um, you know, from a, a clinical standpoint, I'm just so thrilled to be able to serve the community where I live. Um, you know, with a background of service to country, um, that service, you know, concept stays Mm -hmm. local to my community as well. And, and the practice that I'm building is going to be right in the town where I live. Um, So I'm just thrilled to be able to, um, you know, support my local community and to be able to help people that really, that really need, um, that really need me. So Mm -hmm. um, I think it's just such a gift and I'm so thrilled to be able to offer that to them.
1: Yes. And as we've heard, some surprising elements of health or lack of health or obstruction of health can present in the allergy, immunology, and asthma space. And so knowing that you have a broad swath of ways that you can engage and help the members of your community. Feels good. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the fellowship. And so what was that process like of becoming a fellow of your academy?
2: Oh, um, so, you know, the fellowship requirements um, are basically a number of years in, Um, clinical practice involves um, teaching and it involves research. So once you kind of meet all of those criteria, they offer you fellowship, which actually um, I was offered in the first year that I was eligible, um, which was just awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, fellowship in an organization like the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology is just such a stamp of Um, of approval of meeting kind of the highest clinical standards of expertise in our field. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of (laughs) letters to throw on a credential, but it feels good to do it because I know I work so hard to earn it. And Mm -hmm. I know that my patients deserve that, that expertise in practice. Um, So it's something that I take a lot of pride in.
1: Mm -hmm. And that acknowledgement is important, right? And honoring that and congratulations on being welcomed in so early on in your clinical practice. What were your areas of interest with research as you moved toward that?
2: Um, Actually, my research initially was um, in drug rashes. And then I I also did some research um, in diagnostics. So Mm -hmm. looking at um, skin prick test panels and how we do it and how allergists do it in different parts of the country. Um, You know, it's interesting because even with diagnostics, there's not a ton of standardization across the Mm -hmm. board. So it's very interesting. You know, sometimes people will, a lot of times people will move or they'll maybe switch providers and interpreting other, other allergists' tests mm-hmm. sometimes is tricky. Sometimes it's not tricky. Um, there are also, you know, ENT physicians who get some training in allergy in their residencies and they test sometimes completely differently than how board certified allergists do it. So mm-hmm. um, very interesting. So that was kind of some of my research background. Um,
1: yeah. And I think that can be so helpful. And again, I I hear some of these parallels in the land of neuromusculoskeletal medicine and where there can be challenges around lack of standardization, but also opportunities, right, to continue to learn from one another, to see what's beneficial, to perhaps draw in, right, the benefits of each, and to know that sometimes there isn't one exact right way, right? We have to continue to work with the resources we have, the patients we have, and the culture of the region of the country, what we've seen, right? There are many different demographics and ways of living across the country, so perhaps there are reasons. And environmentally, too. So that's the
2: other thing that really differs, you know, regionally. Mm-hmm. So it's not just, it's the people, but it's the plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that okay. stuff, too. So very, very different. Or, you know, you know, even just things as simple as, you know, do you live in the city or do you live out in the country? You know, things mm-hmm. like that make tremendous
1: difference.
2: So Absolutely.
1: Fascinating. We've found that living, you know, across the country. My husband is often surprised by which season his allergies present themselves, <laughs> depending on where we live. Sure. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, this Oh go ahead. I was gonna say
2: here in here in Virginia it doesn't take long. Most people are here a year or two and then they're like, oh my gosh, I need an allergist. just
1: so yes. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. there's a lot of different flora available sure, <laughs> in that region. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been so excellent and so many surprising manifestations of the osteopathic concept. I thank you for spending You're your always. time with me. Thank as you. we wrap up, we've heard a lot of opportunities, but as we close, how would you say you see yourself for the health of all things?
2: Um, you know, I feel like, um, gosh, for the health for the health of all things, excuse me. Um, I am. Um, I think I'm mostly. I would say I'm a very compassionate listener, um, and I think that um, for the health of my patients, that is one of my probably my strongest traits. And and my deep down care for their well being, and to really help patients to be better, and to live better, and to experience a, you know the greatest quality of life that we all deserve. Um, and so I think, you know, those listening skills, I think are, are some of the hallmarks of what make me, me. Um,
0: mm-hmm. So I don't know.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, I but. fully hear that and support it. And I do think listening is one of the great osteopathic gifts that we can bring forth and hearing how you do that for your patients is so encouraging. Thank you. Well, please tell my listeners where they can find you both physically, right? If they're in the Northern Virginia area. And also if you do have an online presence where they could investigate your work as well.
2: I do. So my practice is called Kaufman Allergy, Asthma and Immunology, and it will be opening in January, 2021 in, uh, Tyson's Virginia, which is right in the Washington DC suburbs, um, right outside of, um, the ballet. Mm -hmm. And um, so, if you're in the Northern Virginia area, please come and say hi and see me in my practice. I would love to meet you and to help you with allergy, asthma, and infections. Um, online, my online presence um, is best found at my website, which is kaufmanallergy.com. And you can also find me on social media on Facebook, it's at Kaufman Allergy, and on Instagram, at Dr. Allergy. Thank Excellent.
1: you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your work and for your time here. Such a pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com Visit the website at this osteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at this osteopathic life. Thank you so much for listening.